If you were trying to decide whether or not it would be a good idea to apply to a certain college, for example, to my alma mater and Nathan's alma mater, PC, how would you go about it? How would you proceed? What would be your thought process? In other words, how would you judge the value of a Providence College education and whether it's, in, it's worth investing in? Would you make that judgment based on somebody you know who partied from the first day he arrived on campus as a freshman and who finally flunked out in his junior year? Or would you evaluate the school based on other people you know who graduated from PC with honors and then went on to do great things in the world? If you were trying to decide whether or not to become a doctor, how would you evaluate the medical profession as a whole? Would you evaluate it by the bad doctors you know or by all the good doctors you know? If you were trying to decide whether or not marriage was a worthy vocation worth pursuing, how would you do it? Would you focus your attention primarily on the people you know who are in bad, unhappy marriages? Or would you focus your attention primarily on the people you know who are in good, solid, healthy, happy marriages? Father Ray, those are really easy questions. You're right. They're meant to be easy questions. Easy questions which illustrate a very important truth. We almost always evaluate things in this life by looking at the best, not the worst. To properly assess the value of a PC education, you need to focus your attention on the best and most intelligent graduates of Providence College that you know, not on the people who flunked out. To properly evaluate the medical profession, you need to look at all the good doctors you know, not the bad ones. And to properly evaluate the goodness and dignity of the vocation of marriage, it's imperative that you focus your attention first and foremost on those who are living the vocation well and happy not on those whose marriages are on the rocks. We almost always evaluate things in this life by looking at the best, not the worst. But notice, my brothers and sisters, I said almost always. You see, there is at least one institution on planet Earth right now which is normally evaluated not by its best members, but by its worst members. Its absolute worst members. And you all belong to it. It's called the Catholic Church. When priests are talked about in secular society, there's no secret on this matter, for example, especially when they're talked about in the media, the focus is almost always on the 4% who are bad, not on the 96% who are good. In fact, most of the time, the 96% don't even get mentioned, even in a footnote. It's like they don't even exist. 
When the history of the church is spoken of or written about, the focus is almost always on the terrible sins that some clergy and even some lay people have committed over the centuries, and not on the billions and billions and billions of loving acts that the majority of Catholics, clergy and lay alike, have performed over the same period of time in the name of Jesus Christ. That stuff, again, doesn't even get mentioned. And when people who have left the church or given up the practice of their faith want to make their point and justify themselves, what do they say? They say, ah, oh, all those Catholics who go to church, they're all the same. They're a bunch of phonies. They're a bunch of hypocrites. That's all of you, by the way, in case you weren't aware of it. It's nice to be loved, is it not? Now, as baptized, believing Catholics, I don't think we should be looking for any special treatment in this regard. However, I do think that we have the right to be judged and evaluated like everybody else is judged and evaluated by our best representatives, not by our worst. And believe me, that's really great news because you know what? Our best representatives are literally the greatest people who ever lived. We call them the saints. And who were the saints? Well, very simply, the saints were ordinary people, like us, who allowed the Holy Spirit to transform their lives in a radical way. For them, Pentecost wasn't just a liturgical feast that was celebrated one day out of the year. For the great saints, Pentecost was an experience, something they lived throughout the year. Just think of the apostles. Before Pentecost, Peter was a hot-headed, impulsive coward. He really was. Who couldn't even defend Jesus Christ against a servant girl in the high priest's courtyard on Holy Thursday night. Talk about a wimp. After Pentecost, what do we see? In Acts 2, which is tomorrow morning's first reading. Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, becomes a level-headed, faith-filled man with unbelievable courage and conviction, fortitude. And he was willing to defend Jesus Christ against anybody, regardless of the consequences. And there were consequences. Thomas went from being a super-doubter to a super-apostle, super-missionary, super-martyr by the power of the Holy Spirit. Before he experienced his own personal Pentecost, beginning on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus was, by his own admission, a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man filled with arrogance. That, those aren't my words. That's how he described himself in 1 Timothy. And yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this guy was transformed into the loving St. Paul, who wrote and who lived those words that we hear all the time at weddings, that beautiful text on love from 1 Corinthians 13. He didn't just talk it, he lived it. 
Today is a day for us all to invite the Holy Spirit into our own lives more fully so that he can transform us like he transformed these people and all the great saints of human history, of church history. Now you might say, Father Ray, why do we need a fuller outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Didn't we all receive the Spirit at baptism and confirmation? Yes, we did. Yes, we have. However, lest we forget, the Holy Spirit is God. And God is eternal. That means there's always more of God's life, more of God's grace that we can receive if we desire it and if we're open to it. And all it takes is a simple prayer, a sincere prayer from the heart. Just begin with the words, Come, Holy Spirit. And then ask the Holy Spirit for what you believe you need, a deeper faith, a stronger hope, a more fervent chat, whatever it might be. And don't just ask the Spirit today. Pray to him often, like those great saints did. And one final point, my brothers and sisters. Please remember to tell your friends who are critical of Catholicism that they should evaluate our religion by the best people in the church, not the worst. By the people who have truly lived the message the church proclaims. By the people who have lived their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. People like the Apostles, Blessed Mother Teresa, St. Catherine of Siena, Blessed John Paul II, St. Pius X, and hopefully someday you and me.